0: as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long on that night an idea was born that idea became the FDH lounge welcome to the FDH lounge hello everyone welcome to FDH lounge mini episode 1532 this is FDH Managing partner Rick Morris here and we have with us today one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good friend Ben Chu, and uh, he is, of course, our uh, chief NBA analyst, and we are breaking down the 2022-2023 NBA season. We were going to reconvene perhaps at some point in August. Some years we've done this, some years not, just to kind of cap the end of free agency and the, the end of the offseason, but uh, thanks to Kevin Durant holding the league hostage, essentially, uh, as long as he did, we never really kind of got to that point, and then we end up getting a blockbuster trade heading into Labor Day weekend, the likes of which you don't generally see. We'll get to that as well. So much to get to from uh, looking at this upcoming season, including last-minute calamities landing in the laps of both of last year's NBA finalists. Uh, ben Chu, I think you would agree with me, and it's great to have you in, uh, that this has been a weird offseason, weirder than most, I think, for some of the developments that have happened.
1: Yeah, I think also, too, right, just with the amount of how the league has been. Last year was a little bit of a flex year in terms of we saw a lot of young teams make their charge, but it also, it ultimately ended up being two teams that we thought were probably going to be among the finalists in Golden State in Boston, but we saw a lot of surprises in it. And this off season, we saw a lot of surprises with Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland, and Utah essentially blowing it up right now for Victor Wampanyama, and then just the scenario that Durant stayed in Brooklyn, and a lot of these other teams are building out their rosters, and they're the question for some people of like how Golden State's going to. Deal with their, you know, their second attempt at a back to back, and what could possibly happen in the future for the West and Eastern conferences.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of these things where, in looking at this, uh, and we've been discussing this uh, in uh, pro uh, basketball draftology, and we now have up our annual uh, fantasy basketball draftology twenty twenty two available on the main page of fantasydrafthelp.com. and of course, you and I being. Uh, basketball historians here, as long as we're getting our plugs in. Go buy the top 75 players in pro basketball history available on Amazon. But in looking at the broad historic scope, this is a point that I've been making in our guides the last two years or so, which is it's an interesting time in the NBA and an exciting time from a historical standpoint, because you still have the teams from the previous point here. You still have Uh, The Warriors hanging around, you still have uh, the Lakers in the mix, you have Toronto, albeit they're not nearly the same team they were when they won the title because they had Kawhi Leonard then, but you have the mix of teams that were around before the last couple of years. Boston fits into that because they were the bridesmaids in the Eastern Conference Finals in the second LeBron era, and you have the newer teams that are popping up, Milwaukee and Phoenix and some of these other teams coming into the mix the last couple of years. You don't generally see a slow-motion changing of the guard in the NBA. It doesn't generally take a couple of years. But we're in this overlap period right now, the likes of which you don't generally see in the league. It, it generally moves from one era to the next a little bit quicker, and, and now you've got old guard teams that are fighting to hang on, and these up-and-comers that are like, hey man, my time is now. Right, and I think Rick, we discussed is the globalization of the game and the
1: expansion of just how teams are running their offenses in the in the 2020s, that allows for a lot, of these, a lot of these games to be a bit more random. And the opportunity for some of these teams who are a little bit older, like Golden State, like the Lakers, like the Los Angeles Clippers, they have very good opportunities to still be top teams in this league, but then you have the younger changing of the guard teams, like the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Cavs, the... Some people will you know, vacillate between the Knicks as well, but it's, it's just a weird, tra- it's a transition year for the league, but it almost feels like just because of the amount of talent the league currently has, it seems like a lot of, it's very rare now to see a team just be completely down and out for a super long period of time, yes. just because now that even the bad teams have talent now.
0: Yes. That's true, and when you look at it, uh, the sweep of the last couple of years as well, I mean, it's hard to find a word to use other than revolution when you look at pace in the NBA, the way that it's gone. Golden State, middle of the 2010s, ushered in pace and space with the threes and everything, but uh, the pace part of it, the explosion the last couple of years, and uh, teams just moving up and down the floor. Uh, so much quicker, and it's one of these things where you and I have talked about this off-air from a handicapping perspective, that it makes some of the older handicapping models a little tougher to look at, because it really is a different game when you've got the pace and the number of possessions and everything like that that is so much different than it was a couple of years ago, and that's been something that has really been shaping the product we're looking at here, too. I would say, aesthetically, not always for the better, because uh, the number of games I've watched the last couple of years where it's teams just running down and jacking up bad threes, you're having that more than you've ever had, but the pace and the excitement and everything like that on the other side of it, there, there's definitely pros and cons, aesthetically, I would say, as well as competitively. Right,
1: and I think we're starting to see a mini-shift right now to, we had, during the pandemic, and we had those two to three bridge gap years. Mm-hmm. Of teams essentially just going all out on pace and space, and now we're starting to see it get reeled in a little bit more. We're seeing teams play a little bit better defense, and maybe a little bit better in terms of shot selection and just how teams are focusing now more on getting the best shot possible instead of what it used to be, which is we need to make we need to shoot as many shots as possible. Right. And yeah. it's, it's a small differentiation. It's going from take the best shot possible to essentially just take an opportunity at any point and just keep the game moving because you'll get more opportunities. So we're, we're seeing teams being more selective with their offense than they used to be.
0: Yes, and that's just going to lead to things being better, I think, competitively and aesthetically. To talk about that. When you talk about the internationalization... The last kind of broad scope that I have in mind to get into before we start looking at the specific landscape of these teams here, going back over uh, last week and looking at this uh, really kind of zoo that we had in Las Vegas, it was an, an exciting kind of a deal, the likes of which you don't generally get in the NBA with player development, but uh, Victor Wembanyama coming over with his French team to play against the G League Ignite team, the two-game series against Scoot Henderson and the G League Ignite. And uh, reminiscent in a lot of ways, I was talking to some friends this week. We really haven't had anything quite like this probably since I was there 20 years ago at the uh, Convocation Center in Cleveland when a high school, LeBron James, uh, played on ESPN2. I believe that was unprecedented at the time to have a high school game on national television. And uh, it, the, the zoo atmosphere there that night with all of the uh, pro scouts and coaches and everyone that was in attendance for LeBron's game, and that was a spectacle that, that lived up to it. And the games this past week, I, I don't know that it quite got the media attention that LeBron's game did 20 years ago, because I was talking to some friends of mine this week that I would have thought would have heard about this and didn't. So it did it, it escaped the notice of, of some people uh, but uh, it was something that was uh, unique in the basketball world I don't think it's the last time we're gonna see this from a European team uh, because again there's only one Victor womenmanyama and we saw that uh, there's never going to be another probably but the next time there's a big shot playing over in Europe I mean think about what it would have been like a couple of years ago if Luca would have come over and played a game like this he would have been on everybody's radar immediately uh, had that been the case but it was truly, truly astounding, and again, Scoot Henderson, for all the comparisons people are making to John Morant, I think that they are valid. I think most other years he would go number one, but Weminyama being a true, I mean, like some of the highest praise terms you can use don't seem enough. When you say generational talent or this or that, uh, when LeBron was asked about him, he said, is he a uh unicorn he's like well everyone gets described as a unicorn but this kid's an alien like a guy who's 7-4 who can break you down off the dribble from pretty much anywhere on the floor it looks like who can hit shots from anywhere on the floor it looks like who is dangerous with the blocks underneath and everything he can do uh, there and uh, rebounds and everything i mean you, you talk about just all around everything In in that sense, uh, and again, Woj saying on ESPN that he's the most coveted prospect in NBA history, Uh, all of these things sound like overkill to the naked ear, but uh, if if anybody thinks that what I'm saying sounds like overkill, I would just invite you to go watch some of the film from this past week, because these are things that are just, it was eye-popping Ben Chu. We'd heard all these things about him, but it's another thing to see it with your own two eyes.
1: Right, and I think the biggest thing that we did get to see him do was essentially consistency. He had two games against the G League United, had essentially 30, and essentially double-double games in both the games he got to play in. And while, I, I mean, like I said, we, we always talked about the most high prospects of all time. You also include guys like Kareem and Shaq, and Magic, but... Uh, This is the first time I think we've ever seen a talent of that size and that height with that sort of build have the potential to put their own sort of landscape on that. We saw this because essentially we discussed this too. If we go down the timeline of most important players in NBA history Kevin Durant, despite how many rings he'll get, despite how many, he was
0: one of those guys who ushered in the big guys have to shoot narrative in the NBA. Right. And
1: Victor has all the talent could see in today's NBA that could lead a team and the big thing for me I think for him moving forward obviously we know he has an injury history he's going to have to stay healthy and he's going to also have to put on a little bit more weight but the one thing I'll say I'll make a comparison to Chet Holmgren who we're not going to sadly see this year in OKC we're going is that I think I would make the argument that Juan body is a little bit more filled in most of the time, I only see Rick guys who are seven, seven, three, seven five. They're usually a lot ganglier. They don't have a lot of muscle mass. I and mean, I think just Webanyama's ability to spread the floor, make good decisions. And, I mean, his head coach, Victor Collette, who also coaches the, the French national team, who says that he's trying his best to cultivate the talent that Victor is by allowing him freedom on the floor, but he's also trying to bring him back, to so that he can work on different little things like... The biggest concern, I think, on a basketball standpoint outside the injury is that he has an issue finishing at the rim with his left hand, but it feels like, to me, that that's something that's easily taught. You can figure that out, and just at least from the interviews I've seen with him, he seems very, I mean, scouts have raved that he's essentially a 30-year-old trapped in a 19-year-old's body in terms of maturity, skill set. He also has a very good friendship with Rudy Gobert, the Timberwolves center, and I, I hate to say that there's another that we might see another guy like this because we always say this who will never see another guy like this So we end up seeing another guy like this. But he might be the most impactful rookie that we have seen, I would argue since Shaq in his prime, yeah, with Orlando, because I love LeBron. I think he's one the great one, the greatest player of all time period. But with those early Cavs teams, he made his impact, but they didn't really do that much. I mean, any it feels like.
0: I would agree with that and this is one of these things where when you look at it that lebron at the time seemed unprecedented because he had the mailman malone body but could do all of these things and it was basically uh, people were saying sort of a cross between scotty pippen and magic johnson uh you know scotty because of the offense because you know magic could score but was not renowned for it but that uh Le- lebron brought that part of the equation from Pippen whilst having all the distributional abilities of Magic, which, again, you know, Scotty's a good distributor as well. So there's when you compare him to those two, I mean, there's a fair amount of cross-pollination in that anyways. But the cross-pollination that we're getting here this week in the description is uh, Durant and Gobert, who you just mentioned. And it's a thing where, when you look at this, like, LeBron felt unprecedented because it was all of that in a body that was like 6'8". When Manana feels unprecedented because it's all of this in a body that was that's like seven four. Like if you're sitting down, if you're doing a create a player on a video game and you're looking for like the ultimate cheat code, and I'm gonna make a guy who's so big that he can do this, but he can also do all the stuff of a tiny guy, like that's literally what he feels like. It it feels like you're watching a guy that somebody designed as a video game cheat code who's in a real game.
1: Right. And I think the big thing for any team who drafts him is cultivating the talent around him, really. Because I don't think, and the one thing I will note with this, is like, I lean to the fact that he'll probably score more like Dirk more than anything else for the entirety of his career. But the thing is, is that ultimately the mistake that Dallas made with Dirk was that they weren't really building out the role players on that roster as well as they could have. So for any team that takes him, whether it will be the Spurs, the Jazz, OKC, the Rockets, or any other team that decides to phone it in to get in, to get Wombanyama, will have the chance and the ability to get him. But one thing I'll say, too, Rick, is that he really, just with the skill set and what he has right now, he probably, outside of, like, we'll, we'll note this with Giannis, but Giannis also has his limitations. his jump shot from time to time. The He might be just like Shaq, because we all remember Shaq in Orlando, he was physically unstoppable there was no one who could really individually match him one-on-one and at this time in the league outside of maybe home maybe Durant, and maybe some guys like pj tucker who could get into him a little bit more with more teams going away from the center position it does feel like one has the ability to be that dominant that quickly i guess and we'd also be we would be moved not to mention tim duncan in this timeline too right that he has that ability to be that impactful player, like a Shaq, like a Duncan, like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in
0: his first year. Exactly. And to complete my thought on why I'm bringing this up right now before we get into the specifics of this season, you're like, well, Rick, you're bringing up something that's going to impact the 2023 season. No, it's going to impact this season because teams had already sort of been in tank mode before this. I mean, you'd already... Look, this is the reason that San Antonio burned it to the ground, and Utah is in the process of doing so. They're not completely there yet. They probably still got one or two more assets to move, but they're going to. Uh, Oklahoma City's been there, and again, uh, not that they're happy that Holmgren went down, but now there's a little bit of a silver lining uh, in not having them this year. But uh, there were already uh, you know, memes on Twitter this week about SGA getting locked out of the Oklahoma City uh, Facility here this week uh, that uh, you know we we don't uh, we don't need to have you here. We might accidentally win a few more games, and this goes to what I've said to you off here for some time now. Is that you know, like you look at Utah, like the guys that they got back from the Cavs? I, I think their floor is a little high for trying to compete for for the lowest pick here. I mean Utah to me looks like a team that's probably in the mid twenties or so, maybe the high twenties. You're not going to get the most ping-pong balls doing that. I'd said to you previously, San Antonio looks like a team that's like a 16-win team, but you said not with Coach Pop, they're not. So, again, what does you know, their floor look like? You've got a number of teams here uh, that are in tank mode, but whether it be Pop getting into a game, let's say it's in January, and let's say it's the 76ers phoning it in, and there's a chance to win one, and Pop just can't let it get away. we got to win this game. You know, and they end up winning it, or or Utah uh, again. Uh, you know, with with the players that they have, uh, stealing a handful of games that they shouldn't necessarily win. It's one of these things where it started to become part of the public narrative this week, as far as, geez, are these teams going to be bad enough to accrue enough ping pong balls? And that's going to be the gravitational pull: is that the sell-off from the worst teams? is likely to just continue on at this point here. And you may see some deals that you would not normally see otherwise from some of these teams here trying to chase these ping-pong balls. And knowing that Scoot Henderson at number two is one heck of a consolation prize, if you want to put it that way. So when Adam Silver has to outright say, hey, please don't tank, teams, not that that's going to do anything, but that shows you right there the effect that this has on the upcoming season. Because the the at a time when the league is leveling out the ping-pong balls, and we've talked about that, and you've mentioned that in the past, that they've done that and that there's not quite the same advantage to having the worst record as previously. It's a little bit more flattened out. But there's never been an incentive to tank like there is this year to get Wembanyana, and that is going to shape the entire league landscape.
1: Right, and I think the major thing, too, is, is like we also kind of know at this point Rick, who the bad teams are in the NBA. But at some point, like we saw last year in Portland when the Lillard went down, you're going to possibly see one, two, or three teams who are like a fringe playoff team or a team that was going to the playoffs as an injury to their superstar do they tank to try and get a generational talent to get them? Because what we saw with San Antonio, too, is that the year they got dunked, they had just one bad year when Robinson was out for most of the season, and they won a championship relatively right. quickly after that. So essentially, the question ultimately is going to be: Is there going to be outside of let's say the very obvious ones like Golden State, the Lakers, and the Clippers, and you know the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics? Those teams I feel like are the six teams, and then I'll also say Miami too. I'm a little bit more fringe here than them on that. Same thing maybe with the Brooklyn Nets as well. But we'll see again how all that plays out. There's only seven or eight teams you know for sure that are going to be in that tier of, like, we're not going to get to the lottery. Right. And it feels like, to me, if you look at the 22 remaining teams, it's going to be positioning and how they're going to be. And the question for Robin Yama too, also, we have to remember this, too, is that he is the overall number one pick. But we've seen it before where leagues, in, especially in the NBA and the NFL, where if an undesirable team gets to be the number one pick, will Wambanyama want to play there Right type narrative? For now, I don't think that's going to happen. But we cannot entirely roll that out, let's say,
0: if the Sacramento Kings or the Utah Jazz get the overall number one pick, will he want to play there? Well, I mean, fortunately, if there is a garbage team uh, that's number one that gets that pick, I, fortunately, I don't think that the genetic studies are likely to show that Archie Manning is actually his real-life father. So uh, there's not mm-hmm. <laughs> Archie Manning won't be. orchestrated. I
1: mean, like I said, I don't think that would occur because I'll, I'll be honest to you, like the teams are at the bottom right now of right. the list. All are pretty preferable locations right. for a player to want to go to.
0: Right. Right. Well, again,
1: I mean, if we just go through the list really quickly, Utah. Again, it's Utah is Utah, but at the end of the day, you know. The Jazz are a very legacy franchise with great fans. San right. Antonio is a legacy franchise with great fans. The Rockets are a legacy franchise with great fans. You know, and then, you know, you'll get to the teams like Detroit and OKC,
0: who have very deep talent pools right now. Yeah. So, Sacramento I will be in the at least mix. for the initial... Six or seven
1: teams who say, you know, will also throw in Orlando there
0: too, but they have Brancato, so right. If Brunch, if he goes to Orlando, you'll get
1: an opportunity to play with Paulo Branchero. So it's pretty rare in the league when a generational prospect comes along, right. And the t- following,
0: and then all the teams that have the possibility of getting him, right, have really good players, right. Even like I'll use a team example for a team that's probably in that.
1: Run to the Pacers, even though again they're not—they haven't had great years recently. They have got a lot of good young talent, in Buddy Field and Tyrese Halliburton, and, and Miles Turner. So, it, it, in my head, there's not really a bad landing spot for Lambayama. There's no right. sort of team that I could perceive that his people or t- or his management team would want to steer him away from.
0: Well, and uh, Indiana kind of pioneered. Uh, rooting for uh, star caliber players named Victor, so they got that going for him. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: that too. I mean,
0: yeah. it's pretty rare.
1: Rick. Usually, when we when a championship talent, they usually go to a really bad team. Well, but at this point, even looking at the really bad teams, Rick, a lot of the really bad team teams still have really talented guys.
0: If we are gonna see the whole Eli Manning slash John Elway, I ain't gonna play here kind of a deal. Maybe that would be Sacramento, because they don't seem to have a whole lot yeah, to but them. I don't
1: think Sacramento's gonna be that bad this
0: year. Really? <laughs> okay, we might we might part that. I don't think they will be that bad. I still All think, right. you know, again, they're probably not making the playoffs, but the argument I would say is, is that even there he would still get to play with De'Aaron Fox and
1: uh and Stephonis. So Right. Usually in years past when we've seen like the Duncan the Shaq, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, up for a draft. Usually they go to a team that's lacking of any real talent, but in the NBA where a lot of teams have more, better players across all these rosters, it's completely different in my opinion.
0: Right. And uh, when you look at uh, some of the divisions in the league here uh, specifically, I'll start with the Atlantic. I would have had prior to the whole thing, and I'm losing their coach under very, uh, very greasy circumstances here, I would have had them as the uh, division champions this year. Uh, Instead, I've got Toronto in that spot. I I think Brooklyn is going to be in second place behind them. They still have questions to answer. Ben Simmons is still looking shaky at best in the the preseason here. Uh, Boston, I think, is going to avoid uh, the play-in, but not by much. Uh, This may surprise people, but I do think Philadelphia will be relegated to the play-in. There's going to be somebody in the uh, Eastern Conference that's going to be the seven-seed where you're going to look at it and be a little bit surprised. I'm going to put down Philadelphia for that one here. I think the Knicks are going to be back of everybody else here. I don't think they're going to pull back to where they were two years ago. I think it's going to be a frustrating thing because we've been saying it for a while. They have a confusing kind of roster, and uh, this sometimes happens with uh, Tibbs coach teams here. But uh, Toronto, uh, I think as a result of the question marks of uh, Brooklyn and Boston, I've got being in uh, first place. How do you see the Atlantic Division, generally speaking, shaking out?
1: I think it's going to be a very interesting year because last, because it's been pretty much the last couple of years dominated by either Brooklyn or Philly. But I think there, I don't think there's a clear cut winner of this division. Mm-hmm. I would assume right now, if we had, I would say Boston just from what I've seen in the preseason so far. It's like as long. As they sort of just stay the course, they should be fine. They still have all the talent that was there last year, including Malcolm Brogdon, which was probably some of the sneakier free agent acquisitions in the off season. Right. But if you have the, if I had to ask, you, I'll probably put Boston at one or at two. I'm going to say Toronto and the Knicks are probably going to be jostling for that final positioning, and then Philly's probably right. I'm going to say they're right in the middle. Okay. At three, so I think that that's the top three, and then. I, but I could definitely see a scenario, Rick, where all five of the Atlantic teams make it to the playoffs, because if you kind of look at the rest of, as we move through the East, I could see a scenario where all five of those teams make the playoffs, just because that seems to me like the most balanced division.
0: It definitely is. You get to the Central, and uh, I had teased this previously here when I said a big trade heading into uh, Labor Day weekend, and uh, it was... Uh, a shocker in a lot of ways. Donovan Mitchell ending up with the Cavs, a uh, blockbuster deal. There'd been a lot of rumors about Colin Sexton going to Utah, and uh, it happened, but not in the way that uh, people were expecting. And uh, again, between uh, Sexton, Egboji, uh, who is a, uh, a relatively high ceiling, uh, or, or not high, high floor rookie, I should say. He's a high floor rookie. He comes in pretty polished as a four-year starter. Uh, Markinen going to Utah, and that's where, like I said, Utah's getting back uh, as good of a haul as you're going to get when you're trading a guy like uh, Donovan Mitchell. But Mitchell coming into the Cavs, uh, again, I think they're a year away from winning this division. I've got them in second behind Milwaukee, uh, who I think you have to keep as uh, the favorite in this division, because I think they're one of the favorites overall in the NBA, and had they had Chris Middleton Last year in the playoffs, I think the odds are fairly decent. They might have been able to defend their championship. But uh, the Cavs are coming, and I think they are going to be a team capable of getting a first-round buy in the playoffs. Uh, Chicago, I've got uh, dropping off to the, uh, the play-in round. I, I, I think we saw, sort of saw peak bulls a year ago as far as what the manifestation is going to be with this team. I've got them uh, sliding back just a bit. Uh, Detroit and Indiana are still on the outside looking in Uh, Detroit is, with the the talent that they've picked up in the draft the last couple of years they're they're too good to be in the Wemenyana sweepstakes uh, but they're still a ways away from contending for even the uh, the play-in game they're at least a year away on that Indiana is uh, more closer to full-on tank mode here so I would be surprised if uh, you and I didn't end up seeing the Central Division probably just about the same way
1: yeah, I think essentially, too, the only real thing to save some time on is I, I, I pretty much agree. The only thing I will say is I do think Detroit, if Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, and company all have a good run, I could definitely see them as a low ranked playoff team in seven and eight spots, just in case. Because we, we all know, too, Rick, a lot of the teams in the East are going to be predicated on how healthy they're going to be. And I could see a team like Detroit. Sneak into the to that lower tier end of the playoff run
0: and the play-in tournament. Yes, I think that is possible. Or I like,
1: don't know too. Or I could see them in four or five in the lottery.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. They they could go either way. Detroit is probably one of the bigger variance teams in the NBA this year. Uh, you look at the Southeast Division, and uh, again, I don't think there's much to indicate that it might be much different than it was a year ago. Miami is the clear-cut favorite in the division. Atlanta is another one of these teams where, uh, again, particularly after picking up Murray in the offseason and that backcourt looking dangerous, uh, they're not a team that you would necessarily expect to be a play-in team. Uh, But again, neither is Philadelphia, and I already put them there. You're going to have teams on the 7 and 8 line in the East. That's just the way it is that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be there because of the depth of it now. So I've got them back in there. I've got uh, Charlotte limping back in as a play-in team. Uh, but they're the ones that I think are, are most likely to get run down by somebody. Like, if I'm wrong about the Knicks, and they can rise up and get at least a play-in spot, then it would probably be at Charlotte's expense. Ditto for Detroit. I think uh, Washington is a team that is just uh, kind of going nowhere as they've been the last couple of years here. And uh, Orlando, they're getting better and better. And like you said, they're going to get uh, this interesting year out of uh, Banchero, get to see what he looks like as a rookie add him to the mix. Uh, they are a team of the future, uh, but uh, the, the present uh, right now belongs to uh, Miami. They are probably the team in basketball. Actually, I don't think there's any doubt about it. They're the team that's luckiest to be in the division that they are in. And that's not to say that they're not a very, very good team. They've been in Eastern Conference Finals two of the last three years, having made it to the finals in 2020 in the bubble. Not to say that they're not still very good because they are. But uh, location is everything, Ben Chu. And uh, if you're the best team uh, in, in that division, you've got an easier path than most division winners have. Right. And
1: I, and I think you know Miami is going to come down because they are going to have to replace P.J. Tucker, who's now in Philly. Yep. How that's going to work, will it be Nik- Nikola Jovic, their rookie, their, la- their first-round draft pick, who, played, who, had, who had some impressive preseason looks already right now? But yeah, no, to speak the rest, I mean the Hawks were recording this right now while they're in their trip against Milwaukee and Abu Dhabi. They're gonna be really interesting because Bijanta Murray was clearly an all-star last year and now it's gonna be interesting because Trey hasn't really played with a guy who has the ability to get to the basket as well as he has. And people tend to forget, despite the Hawks taking a step back last season, they still have a lot of talent on that roster. Right. And they'll be interesting and then the Hornets, I could see them be anywhere from being a 7 or 8 seed to a playoff play-in team very similar to Detroit or not even making the playoffs because they are, people tend to forget, they're not going to have Miles Bridges probably right for most of the season or whatever his future is going to end up at this point.
0: And that's huge. And then
1: I think Orlando, I would argue, in the division is probably the most intriguing team if they can put things together, though they have a lot of talent. We'll see if uh, Jalen Stubbs, who I saw earlier today, still is having foot and knee problems, will be out for a little bit as well. So, the stuff is really kind of probably the most boring division of it all. But at the end of the day, you know, I could definitely see some of these higher-tier teams make some noise in the
0: playoffs. Oh, yeah. I think that's definitely the case. Uh, You look at the Western Conference, the Southwest Division, has more intrigue to it, at least at the top, than the Southeast Division does. Uh, you've, you've got Memphis, who I like to continue uh, their run from a year ago. They are going to have to get past some injury issues early in the season here, but uh, I, I think uh, by midseason they're going to have the looks of a team that has uh, sort of picked up where they left off last year. I think they're going to win the division over Dallas, who, uh, again, I understand them. They, they they were just in a bad position. This is what happens sometimes when you're when you're building a contender and you have a very very bad choice between really overpaying Brunson uh, because I think they kind of topped out with what that version of the Mavericks were last year. Uh, but then letting them let go for nothing. And uh, a, a, again, this team is going to be even more Luca dependent than it was previously. So. Uh, I think Dallas is going to be kind of figuring it out, still trying to get enough parts around Luka here. Uh, Good enough to win 50-plus games and make the playoffs uh, quite comfortably, Uh, but uh, they're they're not any closer to the uh, finals than they were at the end of last year, uh, to be sure. Uh, New Orleans, I've got making it as uh, one of the play-in teams here. Uh, They certainly have the ceiling to be better than that. Uh, We'll see how much of the season Zion's going to be able to be back for, but it looks like he's fully healthy, looks like he's in far superior physical condition than we were used to seeing him in previously. That is a very good starting five that they have top to bottom, one of the better ones in the league. So uh, New Orleans, like I said, I have them as a play-in game. They could be more than that. Houston and San Antonio are still in tank mode, but uh, a, a, again, we'll, uh, we'll see here. Uh, Houston, with some of the young talent that they have, uh, they're a little further along, I think, than Oklahoma City and some of the other real dregs of the league here uh, at this point. San Antonio, again, it's going to be a fascinating thing, as you and I have talked about on air today and now off previously with Popovich. Of, they might be the worst team in the league on paper, but what is Coach Pop going to drag them to as far as the win total goes? So uh, the Southwest, is uh, it, it, it sort of has something for everybody, whether it be the tank teams at the bottom or the really, really strong contenders at the top. Right. And I think Memphis is
1: definitely probably the class of that division. It's going to be really interesting to see how they move forward through this season. It's always interesting to see Rick after contending and possibly blowing their opportunity to get to the finals during their series against Golden State. It, it It's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back from that, especially when I, we always like to see there's only two ways for a young team that was contending for a title to do. Either you go up and you get to the finals or you go down and you fall out of it. So Memphis is going to be a intriguing world. We'll see how Ja kind of takes off his junior season this year. Uh, Moving across, I mean, we've talked a lot about Houston and San Antonio already, but Houston has a lot of pieces that are very intriguing outside of Jalen Green and Smith Jr. Tari Eason's a name a lot of people aren't talking about, but he's had some good showings in the summer league and in the preseason. So he could be another one of those impact guys for Houston at the period of time. Dallas... I'm gonna say, actually, the only thing I think we disagree on, Rick, is I, I'm flip flopping on you. I think Dallas is probably one of those teams that's more likely to fall into the play-in tournament scenario than New Orleans is because I think New Orleans, right now, outside of Zion's health, we saw this team get into the seventh or eighth spot, get into the eighth spot, and nearly, you know, do some real damage in that in the playoffs. So I, I'm more favorable just from seeing what Zion's done in the preseason so far and how deep that team is. I think they have a better shot of making a deeper playoff run than Dallas does because I really, truly think that it's going to, like you said, it's going to be heavily Luka-dependent. And the question is, is, we've seen this before during the LeBron era in Cleveland, was that when a team gets heavily dependent on one superstar player, they usually seem to falter in the
0: playoffs. Yep. Yeah, that's a tough way to go, and uh, I respect your guts on uh, taking New Orleans above them because uh, I, I'm sort of deferring to the chalk on this one here and looking at the kind of jump that we take. Yeah, and I don't
1: blame you there because I think I just think right now New Orleans' ceiling is that much higher. And if Zion, I, I, if I'm being honest to it, I don't even think Zion needs to play a full season. He just has to avoid
0: injury this year. Yes, I would agree with that. They have enough talent in McCollum and Brandon
1: Ingram. Jonas Valanciunas, you know, they they got enough talent out there that they are just, they're one of those teams, I feel like, along with the Cavs, that they would not surprise
0: me if they go to the finals. Yeah, well... Like I, some people would be surprised, but I think you and me would
1: both not be super surprised to either see New
0: Orleans or Cleveland in the finals this year. Totally agree, and in the case of New Orleans, I totally agree with you that their ceiling is higher than Dallas's. I was slotting them where they are because of where I see Dallas's floor being... But you're right, the ceiling is a lot higher in New Orleans. And, uh, yeah, I will say, too, and this is something I just heard about in the last day or so as far as it goes with Memphis, is that the bulletin board material that they have, I don't remember hearing if it was Draymond Green specifically or just people from Golden State, but, like, oh, they're a fluke. We'll see what happens to them next year. Like, they've had that plastered all over their facility ever since then. So the coaches are pushing all the right motivational buttons, and this has been a group that's really come together in a very admirable way as far as the way that they've grown. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talent there, but the chemistry is very important as well in Memphis. It is similar to what the Cavs have done chemistry-wise. So it, it is one of these things where I, I agree with you that when a young team makes a leap like that, sometimes they take a step backwards. But I think internally they're doing everything they possibly can to avoid that, and that's all you can ask for.
1: Right, and I think they're going to definitely get more of a contribution from guys yeah. like Dylan Brooks, guys like Desmond Bain. You know, they recently yeah. re-up Steven Adams to a multi-year contract, so that team is still very good. I, I, I just the real question I ultimately have with Memphis is that is this the year that you regress just a little bit? Because I think there's a lot more. I would make the argument last year is that they. It's going to be really interesting how seriously they treated the regular season, because it felt like to me last year they front runs until the playoffs, and it feels like to me any team that kind of tries
0: to go for all those regular season wins usually doesn't do that well in the playoffs. Right. Uh, That could very well be the case. But, uh, yeah, the guys that you mentioned, I think Brooks is going to continue to take steps forward. I think Bain is already a star. And I I think, again, what— He is.
1: We've all discussed this. He probably is the— most talented player in the league
0: that no one talks about. Totally agree. Totally agree. And uh, he is definitely the caliber of a number two guy where you can win a championship. Because to go back to Milwaukee, I mean, Chris Middleton, uh, I mean, if he's good enough to be your number two and win a championship, and he was, and I don't mean this is a slam on Middleton, but I mean, Bain can be that. I mean, he definitely can. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever. He can Provide as much to Memphis as Middleton did to Milwaukee when they won a championship. So I I think that the comparison bears out there. Uh, The Northwest Division is going to be very exciting because of some very big additions at the top here. And uh, you referred to it before with uh, Gobert moving over to uh, Minnesota, the uh, new era Twin Towers with uh, Carl Anthony Towns there that they're going to have. But for Denver, uh, it is an, uh, a thing of adding from within. Denver has uh, Michael Porter Jr. and even more importantly, Jamal Murray coming back uh, to add to the Joker. And uh, so I still have Denver slotted as the division champion. And uh, Minnesota, to me, again, this might seem a little surprising based on what happened last year. And they gave Memphis everything they could ask for. But similar to the East, there's going to be teams that you have in the 7 or 8 seed. Uh, where you, you look at them like, well, they don't look like a play-in team to me in the way that Anthony Edwards has been improving, but I'm going to put Minnesota in as a play-in team, albeit with 48 wins. I mean, it's pretty good to have 48 wins and still be in the play-in. Uh, you and I had sort of joked about this off-air previously when I gave you my predictions. I actually think Portland's going to be a play-in team, and I think embarrassingly for the league at 30 wins, because to me, I think there's a big drop-off between the 9th and 10th teams Uh, in the Western Conference. I think Portland is 10th, but a distant 10th. So it's going to just show you, it's going to shine a spotlight on how bad everybody's tanking because Portland's going to be right there. Some of the really tanking teams behind them could run them down, but they're not going to make any effort to do so, I don't believe. You're going to have Utah and Oklahoma City really bringing up uh, the rear in this division for reasons that we've talked about previously. But uh, in in a way here, uh, this is somewhat... Uh, aside from the fact that uh, uh, Dallas or New Orleans is going to be a much better third-place team than Portland, structurally, the Northwest is sort of similar to the Southwest that we talked about as far as the teams at the top and then the teams really bringing up the rear.
1: Right, and just briefly to talk about those teams bringing up the rear, rear, OKC is going to be a barely with no... Chet Holmgren, it's going to be very interesting to see how they dismantle that team, Where if they're going to keep SGA, if he's going to get traded to a bunch of other teams that may be a little bit more intrigued by them. I mean, also, too, Utah's going to be interesting. We've discussed them already a lot. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what pieces they want as part of that team. So you can see them being very active during the trade deadline. For the better teams in this thing, Portland's, I think, the biggest question mark because they have the talent and just guys to be a top four playoff team if they really want to be but then also you see just with the amount of talent on some of these other teams where you would think that but I, I expect maybe for Portland a bounce back season for Lillard and then seeing what we saw from Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grants, one of their bigger offseason acquisitions from Detroit so they have a, they, I, I tend to agree with you, they're either going to be a weird playing tournament team where they're going to be a five or six seed at their peak Denver, I really like. They have a lot, they have a very deep team. We also did, again, since Denver was pretty much injury riddle last year, we did get to see a little bit more of Bones Highland to their spectacular rookie. So yes. it's going to be, I think Denver's going to be a lot better than people think on paper, but I also don't think they're going to pass some of these other teams we're going to bring up in the, uh, talking about the Pacific Division. But they're gonna be a very intriguing team just in general. Minnesota, I agree tend to agree with you. They could either win the division or they could be that six or seventh seed. And it's pretty much they're gonna go on how they're able to integrate Rudy Gobert and how deep that team is in terms of guys like Jaden McDaniels. We'll see if Anthony Edwards takes a big another big step. I if I would argue, Rick, if Minnesota is real and roll, Richard rocking and rolling, he could have the VP just considerations for himself. It's going to be a very interesting Northwest division, but ultimately I, I think, and we, I, I know why you say the Pacific division for last it geographically, but I don't see much noise from Northwestern division teams coming into the playoffs.
0: Okay. I uh, To me, I think Denver is... A legitimate championship contender if everybody is healthy, but uh, that is a little bit of an if based That's on That's a
1: it. big question, Rick, especially considering two out of the three guys have had multiple ishi- injury
0: issues. Well, yeah, and uh, Porter in particular uh, is somebody yeah. that has had the bigger uh, issues uh, over but a period I agree with of time. You. They are definitely a
1: contending team. It's just I just don't see anyone in the Northwest outside of maybe Minnesota taking that leap at
0: this yeah. point. I I would agree with with that uh, as far as taking a big leap uh, off of where they were last year. In the Pacific Division, uh, again, I alluded to this earlier in passing. uh, Both championship uh, uh, finals teams last year uh, with the issues that they ended up uh, having. uh, Boston losing their coach uh, as a result of the uh, sex scandal. Uh, Golden State now with the video coming out of Draymond Green uh, punching Jordan Poole. All I can say is, you hate to see it, Ben Chu. You hate to see it. But uh, as far as uh, how that goes and how that plays in that locker room uh, going forward, I'd we'll love to see if Mr. Triple Single, uh, Draymond Green, is able to make it uh, continue to work there in any form or fashion. Uh, you have behind them Phoenix, who uh, is going to be a perennial Strong contender in the West, even if they probably topped out in this present incarnation that they have of making the finals two years ago. Uh, the L.A. Clippers now getting back Kawhi. Uh, potentially, potentially a championship contender uh, because of all that they've been able to do even kind of without him over a period of time. So you put him back in the mix, you see what they can do. Remember, they made the Western Conference Finals. Ty Lue got him there uh, without Kawhi Leonard when he went down in the playoffs two seasons ago. The Lakers, I still see as being, uh, at this point, well, they weren't even a play-in team last year, but I'm going to slot them as a play-in team just because of, again, this awful roster construction uh, that they have around LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis. And uh, a year ago, uh, again, just I fell into the whole kind of brainwashing thing as everybody else and had them... Uh, as a strong playoff contender, and I think I had them going out maybe in the second round, and that felt controversial at the time, and I way overshot the mark, as did everybody else. I'm going to put them down for 44 wins, which I think is pretty generous based on how they finished last season. Uh, I think they'll make the play in-game and really not do anything of note, unless there's a big blockbuster trade coming, but it's hard to see what that could be based on the trade chips that they have. Sacramento, I have so far back of the other teams that they would need essentially a a strong telescope just to see the fourth place team. So that's how I see the Pacific shaking out. I know you have some strong thoughts on it as well.
1: Right. And we all know at this point, too, Rick, clearly the class is still Golden State. I know a lot of the Draymond stuff is going to get a little bit overblown, but it's going to be interesting. It's very possible. I've heard rumors that... Green isn't happy. He thinks Golden State's not going to resign him, so he might be asked. He, there's a hypothetical scenario where he might ask out to go to another team at some point. But Golden State, regardless of whatever issues they have, even if they do drain Draymond for any period of time or he gets traded, they still have arguably the best player in the game in Stephen Curry, and you still got Klay Thompson. You got a lot more of the younger guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. Weissman has looked impressive so yes. far in the preseason. So. I still think they're the class of the division. I slot the Clippers in just below them. I could see those two flop depending on how much either care coach cares about getting uh, regular season wins. I mean, one of the questions we'll have with the Clippers is how good Kawhi looks after kind of a little bit of a break for him for yeah. these last couple of seasons. So we'll see if he gets back to that sort of pinnacle top-five player in the league. Paul George has definitely... Played a lot better, and the one thing I will say about their roster constructions, they're a very deep team, Rick. Right. We got you got guys like Terrence Mann, you got guys like Zubac, you got guys like you know Nicholas Batum. So they got a lot of good starting caliber guys that would be you know high level or stars on other teams with them. With the moving onwards to the Suns, I mean the Suns are going to be really interesting just because they've lost a lot lost in the offseason. No Jay Crowder there. You're seeing Cam Johnson move into the starting lineup. I tend to agree with you. I felt, Rick, that they popped out a little bit, but they could they still have another good deep run in them if they can co you know, coalesce and cohese themselves together to get to the next level and get back to the finals again. Moving forward to the Lakers, the Lakers are just a weird question mark in my opinion. They have all the talent that they can to be a competitive team and a you know, probably even a championship contender if the chips fall as they may. But again, it's gonna the real question is gonna be is how does Russ match with LeBron and A D and how some of the newer pieces like Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Dunn work together and they got a lot of other good young talenting guys like Scotty Pippen Jr., Cole Swider. So they gotta you know, they're gonna be one of those teams that is either on the fringes of the play-in or they have a chance to be a top fourteen in the West. And with Sacramento, I mean, they're an interesting team, but I don't really think, like you said, if we're talking Telescope, they are now still haven't made the playoffs. I don't even think we even count if they even make the play-in tournament. So
0: right,
1: it's just very weird for them. And I will say, too, it's like ah, – One of these days, Sacramento Kings are going to get into the playoffs. I mean, I'll make the joke too, Rick. It's like the Seattle Mariners talk in the baseball. They finally made the playoffs since two thousand and one. They might win a playoff series before the Sacramento Kings. So, I mean, it's it's a long winded, weird road for the Kings. They have a lot of talent. I'm not going to divulge that. I do really like Keegan Murray for them. I think that he's going to be a great fit for them. The question, just the problem for them is, is that. If they ironically, Rick, I felt if they were the Kansas City Kings, they'd be in a much better situation. It's just because the the division the they're in. They're just gonna have to deal with a lot of good West Coast teams. And it seems like with Sacramento is that I read also to their owner background on eBay said that they wanna get into the playoffs. The problem is is that all these other tier teams that are near them or above them, I don't see them slipping or falling off that dramatically for them to make that jump at this
0: point. Kansas City Kings, leave it to Ben Chu to evoke uh, the 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 time of Otis Bird's song on the program. I love it. And uh, yeah, I just it would have <laughs> been better for them, Rick. They would have either
1: been in a better division or the Eastern Conference.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I
1: mean, uh, even you know, even if they were in the Northwest as, as, as the Sonics, they probably still would have had a better chance of making the playoffs. But also, I do feel like I need to know this. I saw this stat, and it's still crazy to believe this. that I, They popped it up one day, I believe it was on NBA Countdown, of that the Sacramento Kings, no active player has played against the Sacramento Kings in a playoff series.
0: Well, that tells you all That's you need to That's
1: mind-boggling to now. me. Yes. Yeah. Just because, and we've talked about this too, Rick, in terms of bad teams. Yeah. Even bad teams, we know, Rick, occasionally just fall forward into the playoffs. But it just seems that Sacramento is on the fringes again. And hopefully, just for their sake, they get into the playoffs and make some noise at some point. Just because I know they have fantastic fans. They have a great, loyal fan base. But I'll say this, too. There hasn't been a lot to be loyal about in recent memory.
0: No, that is pretty remarkable right there. And I will say this. Uh, that uh, at the risk of being that guy, I am going to be that guy here for a second here on the Clippers. If we're talking about guys who would definitely be getting bigger opportunities on other rosters, I'm just going to say it. Jay Preston, right there. He, yeah, getting... I mean,
1: he, he was out for most of last season. He's got a lot more. He'll be a lot more.
0: Uh, he'll That's have some right. more time. They got, the one thing I will say, Rick, a lot of the NBA analysts
1: are taking the Clippers as probably a champion. Western Conference representative, my major question with them is is that unless Golden State falls off, they're going to have a tougher road than they've had
0: the last couple of years in terms of the playoffs. Yes, I agree with they've that. They've had a much harder road. The two
1: years that they had really good runs, I thought the Western Conference was much weaker.
0: Yes, and uh, I've got them facing Denver in the first round and going out, so that's where, yeah. I, again, you, you, the, it could be the meat grinder of the bracket that you're in. And uh, in, in terms of looking at the projected brackets here, uh, as I had mentioned to you uh, off air, I do have uh, the Cavs as a four seed uh, and uh, making it uh, to the conference semifinals. I have them going out to uh, Milwaukee in six games here. My conference finals, I'm looking at it here. I've got number one seed Milwaukee over number two seed Toronto in seven in the West Call it the uh, the factor of uh, revenge or spite or whatever. Number one, Memphis over number two, Golden State in seven. And an NBA final that would cause Adam Silver to wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. You, I think it was two or three years ago, predicted Denver and Philadelphia. And we laughed about how that would be feared and hated by the league. Multiply that by an exponential factor here. Milwaukee and Memphis in the finals. I'm going to take Milwaukee We'll take getting their second uh, championship in three years in seven games over Memphis in what I think will be an all-time series on the court. How do you see it shaking out in the end, Ben Chiu? Who's holding up the yeah, way Yeah, it's going to
1: be really an interesting sort of year. And there have, I like to say is every time I put a lot of thought into this, I'm usually wrong, Rick, so I'm going to go the opposite this time around okay. and use less thought okay. <laughs> than before. So we'll start in the East. I think it's pretty much Milwaukee's to lose at this point, just in terms of the total balance that they've had. But yeah. I, I'm going to surprise a little bit of people. I actually, oh, God, I, I know Rick is going to be like, God damn event, you're going to curse us already. <laughs> I actually have <having> a Cavaliers Milwaukee final. <laughs> and, and, Rick, I, I'm going to say it. I don't know why. I might be wrong. But I actually have the Cleveland Cavaliers going to the NBA Finals this year. I don't know why. Could there's happen. no reason for it.
0: Because there's but a I'm lot of talent and chemistry. There, so. That's why. I mean, a very I'm mean, good...
1: putting it into the world. Wow. Just because I think the East is so jumbled that I'm like, well, if Cleveland just does anything and, gets, and has to avoid Milwaukee until the conference finals, they have a shot. So I got the Cavs coming out of the East. Uh, I still am not. One hundred percent sold on that, but hey, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. Moving to the West, I think the West is going to be super intriguing this year. Barring Draymond getting traded, I still think Old State is the class. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna say this year it's going to be a Golden State versus Memphis final, and I tend to agree with you, Rick. I think this might be the year Grizzlies get over the hump, so we could see the second worst matchup for Adam Silver, <laughs> which would be Cleveland Memphis. And I'm going to go with it because, you know, my heart's still in Vancouver, but I'm going to give, I think this is the year that Memphis figures it out. So I got the Grizzlies over the Cavs in seven.
0: <laughs> Listen, as a Cavs the fan. The finals, literally, no one wants
1: to watch, I'm predicting. So let's, so hopefully, Rick, I'm speaking a better finals matchup be out in their into the world.
0: You say no one wants to watch, and that's the thing, and I you get Well no, I
1: would say in terms
0: of, well, this is what I wrote. the like
1: mainstream.
0: In the, terms the, of uh, league, in terms of, how do I say this? In terms of league ratings, no one's going to watch. The mainstream but and the casual But
1: it will be a very fun
0: series. Oh my god, it would be so amazing from an X's and O's standpoint. And all yeah. of the young talent. And
1: I also, I'll note this too, I would love to pick Minnesota as well, because Minnesota's
0: been one of my up-and-coming teams. Mm -hmm. My only concern for them is integrating Rudy Gobert and getting a bad first round matchup. Right. Just because there's so
1: many other talented teams right
0: now. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, all of this, yeah, I think is highly possible. Uh, Again, the Cavs, my my whole thing here, I'm being conservative on this in terms of saying could be a year or Uh, so. I would argue,
1: Rick, I think Cleveland is probably. I'm going to say in this scenario, they get like the fourth seed,
0: essentially. Maybe maybe you're believing my whole jersey thing here that I'd said to you previously, that I go back a couple of years ago on the show, uh, having Rick Buecher on, and uh, he thought that when LeBron came back to Cleveland the second time, he thought they were still slotted in behind the Bulls, which I didn't understand, uh, because I was kind of like, if LeBron stayed in Miami and you moved in all this talent around him, you'd still have the Heat as the number one team in Right. Uh, the, and again, the East. remember,
1: Rick, we've discussed this too. Yes. Despite what people think, I'm not a Cleveland homer. No, so no. But that's. He's going out on a limb for once for but, the Cavaliers. But yeah. I think they have a very balanced team but, and a very good roster.
0: But here's too. the thing. And I
1: think what could happen is if Cleveland gets the four seed and let's say Milwaukee, because I ultimately think. I don't know. I don't think Milwaukee is going to be the overall number one seed this year. I think it's going to fall to somebody else. I don't know who. But, but I have a feeling what's going to happen is that both Milwaukee and the Cavs are going to be on opposite ends of the bracket.
0: But this is what I mean about laundry sort of hypnotizing us, is that Utah was the number one seed in the West two years ago. And this team that yeah. Mitchell was on is arguably as good as that team was. So yeah. that's a thing where it's like, oh my God, there's this big loss of continuity in Cleveland yeah, but it's a thing where Mitchell's on about as good of a team as he was where he was a number one seed. So that's the whole, sometimes we make it harder than it has to be in terms of like, oh, there's a lack of continuity here. If the star player had stayed on the team and things had changed around him, there's that there's that objective bias that we wouldn't have of like, oh, there's a lack of continuity. It would be, well, they made some cho- some changes around him, but they'll figure it out. But when the star player travels somewhere else, somehow or another, we always think it's a bigger adjustment than it is. So it will All be right. faster. And I think also
1: the problem, too, is that a lot of, and I'll note this, too, I, the East, in my opinion, has so many teams right now that have a lot of question marks. But a team like Cleveland or a team like, like, essentially, I would think Milwaukee is the favorite in the leaderboard. But my question is, too, is, is that, Middleton has injury history, Giannis has been dealing with his stuff as well. I think Milwaukee top to bottom is the most balanced, but I would say scoring-wise, I would say Cleveland right now, with this iteration, with Mitchell, is a little bit better.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting season in the
0: East and the Western Conferences. That's right. And there's so many... it, It felt like last year, Rick, there was going to be a lot more chalk in the playoffs. Yep. But it seems like this year, I think we could get a crazy combination. It, it's, we have it every year in the league, every six years. There's some weird combo of teams that make the finals. Very crazy. And Go back in history. It, it, it,
1: outside of like one Celtics-Laker year, it's a, there's always a weird combo every six years.
0: Yes. Well, and that's the thing here, too, is that, uh, again, we talked about it at the top of the show. This is a slow-motion transitional period. It's, it's more, so to, more slow motion than you generally see in the course of the league. So you have the powers of the last couple of years, some of them still hanging around. You have the new age teams that are coming up. And uh, that's the thing. That's why you've got 8 to 10 teams across the league that have legitimate championship aspirations when that number is usually closer to 5. So it will be very, very fascinating to see how it uh, plays out. Uh, From your lips to God's ears, uh, Ben Shue, on the Cavs winning the Eastern Conference. So uh, we shall see. But uh, uh, once again, uh, demonstrating uh, why it is always uh, one of the best things we ever do whenever we're talking hoops in the lounge with you. Thank you so much again for your time, buddy. No, No problem, Rick. The great Ben Chu, everybody, and uh, may I say also, uh, just a, if I'm going to uh, be uh, convenient about this, co-author, along with yours truly, of the Top 75 Players in Pro Basketball History, uh, go order it off Amazon.com. Thank you, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1532.